Angola has a local business requirement that companies are required to engage local businesses, which often is used as a means by which to secure bribery payments. So a senior Sonangol executive informed Franks that it could change its decision, in other words, to eliminate the bar against Franks, if Franks established a separate consulting company for the benefit of a high-ranking Sonangol official and paid 5% of the value of the contract to the consulting company. Obviously, a clear bribery scheme. But a Franks employee commented on the situation stating, quote, I do not think it's an exaggeration to say we are fighting for our survival. So from Frank's perspective, they had to pay this bribe or else they would have had to go out of business or exit the Angolan market. Global companies face unprecedented risks and challenges in today's economy. To mitigate these legal and economic risks, companies are rapidly embracing and elevating the importance of robust ethics and compliance programs to promote positive corporate citizenship. On Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, you'll hear from industry leaders and insiders about how to create effective ethics and compliance programs that will mitigate risks and maximize financial performance. Here's your host, Michael Volkov. Well, hello, everyone from sunny Sicily. This is Mike Volkov. I thought we'd take a look at two recent SEC FCPA enforcement action settlements Each of them contain important lessons learned, and just to take a quick look at each of them, not a real deep dive, but I wanted to cover both in one episode. First, let's start with Koneke Phillips, the Dutch company that resolved uh, FCPA violations in China and agreed to pay $62 million. And Phillips is a recidivist, a global manufacturer of medical equipment. This was their second enforcement action. Their first was in 2013 when they resolved with the SEC bribery violations in Poland. And in that case, they agreed to pay $4.5 million to settle charges that they had bribed Polish healthcare officials. But this enforcement action in China is interesting because it highlights some issues with regard to manipulation of tender processes and, once again, the complications of your distribution network, which may include distributors and sub-dealers who then deal with government-owned hospitals or government officials at hospitals. So Philips sells diagnostic imaging, medical equipment, used distributors, sub-distributors, and Philips entered the market in 1920, believe it or not, but they've been in the China market for a long time, and a majority of their medical diagnostic imaging equipment in China is purchased by state-owned hospitals, which is not surprising given the amount of government ownership of economic assets and resources in China. By 2018, 91% of all their revenue in China was earned through this network of distributors and sub-dealers. And Philips aggressively competed in public tenders against rival suppliers of the same equipment. In some cases, At the request of distributors, Philips China gave distributors pricing discounts on the health technology equipment, and they failed, however, to maintain and adhere to internal approval processes for these discounts to ensure that they were properly authorized. And these pricing discounts created a real risk that the excessive margins could be used 
to create a slush fund for improper payments to officials of state-owned hospitals in China. But digging down a little bit here, during the period of 2014 to 2019, Philips China employees engaged in several schemes to seek favorable outcomes in public tenders for medical imaging equipment. It occurred in several regions of China and involved district sales managers, sales employees, and technical staff. Now, these schemes sort of are carved up into four basic themes, but one or more of these themes occurred in many of these tenders. So state-owned hospital employees would write technical specifications in consultation with Philip Chinese employees and distributors or sub-dealers so that the technical preferences and qualification standards gave Philips a competitive advantage in the public tender process. Hospital employee, for example, would also manipulate the technical specifications for qualifications for a winning bid. A hospital employee also directed Philips China or its distributor or sub-dealers to prepare two additional bids, like fake bids, to meet the three-bid requirement under Chinese laws governing public tenders in order to give the appearance of legitimacy. And they also often would pay directly to the state-owned hospital officials to, again, restrict the technical specifications to eliminate what would otherwise be qualified bidders so that Philips China, for example, would only have to compete against two other companies. So in one example, which occurred in 2017, which in the tender process was won by Philips China's distributor, they won two devices valued at a total of $4.6 million. And the Philips China district manager delivered $14,500 in the RMB equivalent to the director's house of a hospital's radiology department. And Philips China's sales team then discussed in advance the specifications to be included in the bid with the hospital director. They also put in fake bids in that situation as well in 2017 to make sure they met the three-bid minimum requirement. Another example occurred when Philips China improperly influenced public tender, which was valued at $475,000. And prior to the award, the hospital director tailored the technical specifications to ensure that only Philips China and two other manufacturers would qualify. Now, Philips cooperated with this investigation and with the SEC, and its remediation included the termination or discipline of Philips China employees and distributors that were involved, and they improved their accounting controls relating to tender bidding practices and use of discounts and special pricing. But more importantly, they were also required and are required to submit reports during a two-year period, regularly apprising the SEC of their remediation efforts. But anyways, the public tender process here These are important sort of risks that we face whenever a client is involved in the public tender process. So please take note of the way that sort of the mechanisms that can be used to circumvent what should otherwise be a proper process. Let's switch now to Franks International, which paid the SEC $8 million to resolve FCPA violations in Angola. And Franks ran into problems in Angola during the period of 2008 to 2014. By the way, in the Phillips case, as well as in this case, the Justice Department declined to prosecute 
in each of those cases. Now, Franks is a global provider of engineered tubular services, tubular fabrication, and specialty well construction and well intervention solutions to the oil and gas industry. It's a Netherlands-based company, but it merged with Expro Group Holdings International, which is a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange. So between January 2008 and October 2014, Franks paid commissions to a sales agent in Angola when they knew that there was a high probability that the agent would use these commissions to bribe Angolan government officials. A substantial portion of the funds were diverted to an Angolan government official to influence the wards of oil and natural gas contracts. The SEC, of course, noted that during this time period, Franks didn't have adequate internal accounting controls in place. Now, many of Frank's senior executives, including its CFO and general counsel, were actually based in Houston. And some of the leadership and oversight of West Africa, however, was in the Netherlands. But beginning in September 2007, Franks learned that they could not increase its business in Angola because Sonangal, the state-owned oil and gas enterprise, was blocking international oil companies from retaining Franks to provide tubular services in a particular project. And Franks learned that Sonangal directed use of a competitor because the competitor made a superior financial investment in Angola. And Angola has a local business requirement that companies are required to engage local businesses, which often is used as a means by which to secure bribery payments. So a senior Sonangal executive informed Franks that it could change its decision, in other words, to eliminate the bar against Franks, if Franks established a separate consulting company for the benefit of a high-ranking Sonangal official and paid 5% of the value of the contract to the consulting company. Obviously, a clear bribery scheme. But a Franks employee commented on the situation stating, quote, I do not think it's an exaggeration to say we are fighting for our survival. So from Frank's perspective, they had to pay this bribe or else they would have had to go out of business or exit the Angolan market. But Frank's didn't set up a consulting company. What they did was they retained an Angolan agent who Frank's country manager had known for over two decades. The Angolan agent did not have any technical experience or background in the oil and gas industry but had long-standing personal friendships with Angolan officials and other Sonangol employees. Now, Franks didn't conduct any due diligence, nor did it execute a written contract with the agent. They retained the agent despite the fact that the employees based in their region were well aware that these payments were going to be used for bribery of the Angolan government officials. And after hiring the Angolan agent and starting to funnel money this way, all of a sudden, Sonangal became more engaged and collaborative, and they would have regular meetings with lots of officials in attendance. And Franks continued to use the agent without a contract or without having conducted due diligence throughout 2008. Now, Franks' CFO and chief accounting officer started to question the commission payments. In response, finally, a little late, better late than never, as they say, Frank's senior executives executed an agency agreement and backdated the agreement to January 1st, 2008, and that supported approximately 688,000 in commission payments. 
And as a result of hiring the agent, Franks retained its previously at-risk contracts and obtained two new contracts. And in January of 2011, three years after establishing this relationship, Franks began paying the agent a 10% commission under a second agreement. And they made additional payments for marketing expenses and other expenses, which were recorded in its books as business expenses, entertainment, and meals, but really was just another way to funnel money to a specific Angolan official. In January of 2011, Franks made a payment of 60000 to the Angola agent. This is on top of the 10%. 54000 of that went to the Angolan official two months later. And a similar pattern of payments occurred in July 2011 and in January 2012, where a large payment was made and a significant percentage was then transmitted to the Angolan official. And as a result of all these payments in 2011, Franks obtained four new contracts in Angola. And in October 2012, Franks and the agent entered into a third agency agreement, which gave the agent a 2.75% commission for sales up to $40 million. And the invoices requesting payments were entitled representation fees. And these were in addition to authorized commissions. Again, Franks incorrectly recorded the payments as legitimate commissions. Now, after becoming a public company, Franks approved additional benefits to the Angola officials, such as travel and entertainment, and they got a travel visa for the Angolan official by falsely claiming the official was a Franks Angola sales employee. The trips included round-trip airfare, lodging, dining, sightseeing, and local transportation for the Angolan official and his companion. So during the period between 2008 and 2014, the Angola agent received approximately 5.5 million from francs, significant portion of which was paid to the Angolan official. The SEC noted, however, that francs voluntarily disclosed the conduct and took remedial actions and cooperated with the investigation. But again, this scenario with francs demonstrates again in the oil and gas industry and any other extractive industry, mining, or any big project type of business, the danger of commissions and sales commissions and how they can be used as a way to fund and then improperly transfer bribes. So those are two quick cases, SEC settlements without DOJ's involvement, nonetheless, Phillips, a recidivist, and Frank's demonstrating once again the oil and gas industry's risk profile an easy way in which it participates in bribery schemes for the benefit of their business in various high-risk countries like Angola. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week for another episode. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to support the show is by subscribing on your favorite listening platform. To learn more and connect with Michael Volkov, go to volkovlaw.com. 